you'd open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Think for a moment, if I ask people who know you, probably more specifically, if I ask your family who you live with, whether or not they would say they can trust what you say, what would they say? If I asked them if you kept your promises, if you were dependable, if you actually lived what you say you believe, what would they say? And you say, why would you ask that? Because we're in the midst of figuring out proof that we're actually disciples of Christ that we say we are. And these are some questions that will come into play today that are part of the proof that we're really his disciples and that we're bearing much fruit. The passage we've used occasionally is Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse 13. Follow as I read from 13 to 26. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his, with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What do we have to do to bear much fruit? We have to decide by this passage to follow by phrases that all basically mean the same thing. Walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. The assumption is you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you, and He constantly communicates with you and with me, telling us what to do and what not to do, applying God's Word to us. And we're supposed to be in partnership, in harmony with the Holy Spirit, listening, focusing on Him, and obeying Him. And as we do that, through us, He displays His fruit. Because it's not our fruit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And this is a package deal used to serve others especially. And it's got nine aspects that you can look at and I can look at that we're looking at ourselves to see how do I rate? How am I seeing the Spirit work through me? Am I seeing any of these aspects come out of my life? So we've walked through six of them. We started with love. Where unnaturally I choose to do what's best for God and for others instead of what's best for me. My natural bend is to do what's best for me. 
And when the Spirit's working, I do this gladly. With a great attitude, I take pleasure in it. I enjoy serving others when the Spirit is working and I'm listening to Him. And I do this in a way of peace, first with God and then with others. You notice that list we had, one of the things was divisions or of the flesh. When it's of the Spirit, I look to make peace with those around me, not so division and discord. And I so have them have make peace with those that they know. I serve with patience. This is a long process. This is long suffering when I'm serving others. But in the process, the Spirit helps me deal with my anger biblically and continue with His help to show mercy to others, which again is not natural in any of us. The Spirit has us show kindness, a tender concern for others that results in being gracious and doing things that are useful that benefit others. And lastly, last week closely connected this was the aspect of goodness. Uprightness of heart and life, but this idea in context, it's always goodness for other people's benefit. Not that makes me look good, or not what makes me look spiritual, or not that I'm trying to be good or look good. That's our natural goodness. This is a goodness from the inside out, it's of the Spirit. And we're zealous to do good things for other people. So now we're up to faithfulness. And some of your translations, if you don't have an ESV, just use the word faith. And you may wonder why. We'll see that in a second. Why some say faith and why some say faithfulness. But the focus of this word, I'm giving you some synonyms for what we're looking at here. This is the idea of this word that's translated faith or faithfulness in this passage. It's the idea of your conviction, your confidence, your constancy or consistency, your capability, or how much you continually do what God asks you to do. That's the idea we're looking at. That's the focus we're looking for. So you can see why I asked you some of the questions earlier. Because naturally, we don't do any of these things, and we need each of these to faithfully serve other people. Now, this word has two aspects. This is why you'll see some translations translate it faith and some faithfulness. The first aspect is the idea of faith, our conviction, our confidence. The Holy Spirit helps us have and show faith. And you're sitting there thinking, wait a minute, I thought I had to have faith. I have to come up with faith. You can't. Your idea of faith is not God's idea of faith. Look in Galatians 5.5. 5. We didn't read that. It's at the beginning of the chapter. It says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Where do I get faith? Through the Spirit. It's part of His fruit. In 2 Corinthians 4.13, it says this, Since we have the same spirit of faith, and some translations I like better, it says, Since we have the same spirit-given faith, according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak. Where do I get my faith? Not from me. And yet that's normally where we try to get it. We'll talk about that. This has to come from the Holy Spirit, the type of faith we're talking about this morning. That's his role. Now, when he's working and giving me faith, 
Even as part of his fruit, when I'm walking in the Spirit, what I'll believe is that this is definitely God's Word. When he brings God's Word to my mind, he brings the principles of God's Word to my mind, and I'm listening to the Spirit, I will believe definitely this is God's Word. This is what he's supposed to do. 1 Corinthians 2.12, what does he do for us? Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. For who's understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You understand nothing spiritually unless the Holy Spirit helps you understand it. Some of you know I tell my BTC classes that all the time. I am not your teacher. If you learn anything spiritually from anybody teaching you, it was the Holy Spirit who made you understand it, not the person standing up here talking. It's his job to make you definitely believe that this is God's word. And he does it because, so your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If I could come up with this myself, what do I need God for? I have to believe that if I understand anything about Scripture, it had to be of God. And by the way, If you don't believe this is God's word and you're supposedly walking with the Spirit, you won't do what it says. If I think, well, I know that's what the Spirit says and I know that's from a verse, but I don't believe that's true. Well, why walk with him? Why listen to him? So number one, this faith comes from the Holy Spirit. Number two, he helps me to understand and believe this is God's word that he's instructing me to do as I'm walking with him. Now go to Hebrews chapter 11, because I'm going to ask you, what's the definition of faith? And you're all going to go to Hebrews 11.1, 1, aren't you? And you're going to give me a nice quote and say, I don't understand what it means, but it sounds good. Right? You're at Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now if I asked most of you what that meant, you'd say, not sure, but it sounds good. Let me just look at the second phrase, second part of that phrase. Faith has to do with being convicted about something you cannot see. We're told in other scriptures to look for that. 2 Corinthians 4, don't fix your eyes on what you can see, on the temporary. Fix your eyes on what's unseen. So what are we talking about in scripture with what's unseen? What does my faith have to do with? It has to do with the one I can't see, which is God. And with his word that I can't see how this is going to work out when I put it into practice. And the Holy Spirit's job is to help me get past what I can't see and decide to be convicted I'm going to do that anyway. You realize we could take time this morning look at all Hebrews chapter 11 of all these heroes of faith that are mentioned? Do you understand it's really explaining to you the unseen things that they had to follow from God? Walk through it. Verse 4, Cain and Abel, they were told by God, here's the sacrifice you have to give, the offering you have to give, here's how you have to give it. Not explaining what it meant, what it had to do. Abel, by faith, was able to do that. Cain was not able to do that. He couldn't get past what he could see. Enoch walked with God. We'll come back to Enoch. A God he couldn't see. How does he walk with him? Noah. You know Noah. He had to build a boat. He'd never seen a boat. 
at least not that size, he'd never seen rain. And he had to believe when God said, it's going to rain, it's going to flood, you need a boat. Abraham, by faith, was told to go out to a country that he had no clue where he was going. He couldn't see where he was going. In fact, he's looking for a city. Verse 10, he couldn't see. He's looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Sarah had never seen an old lady pregnant. And she was told to believe by God that is going to happen. Verse 17, Abraham with Isaac. He offers up Isaac. What did he believe? Verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. As far as we know, Abraham had never seen God raise anybody from the dead, but he believed he could. Unseen. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph make proclamations, talk to their descendants what they were supposed to do based just on what God told them was going to happen. They couldn't see what was going to happen, had no clue. Moses. How much did Moses base on the unseen? Look at verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Verse 30, Jericho, Joshua, they had to take a city in a way nobody would ever seen a city taken like that. Just walk around it for seven days. Believe the unseen, something about God. Rahab believed in a God she'd never met. So our faith doesn't have to do with what we can see. It has to do with something about God and His Word. That's why Mark 11 says, have faith in God. When I'm talking about faith, I'm not talking about just what you believe, just what you think, just what you know. I'm talking about what do you believe about God and His Word because that's where the Holy Spirit is working. That's what's going to be part of the fruit of the Spirit. Something about God and His Word that you need to believe. And the Spirit helps you do that. Look at Hebrews 11.6 with Enoch. It says this, Without faith it's impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near God must believe, and here's what you must believe, something unseen, that he exists. Enoch walked with God, a God he couldn't see, but he believed God was right there. You believe God is here this morning? How do you believe that? You can't see him. The only reason you can believe it is the Holy Spirit's working in your mind to tell you He's here. Not because you're such a spiritual, unbelievably person that knows all religious things. No. By the way, don't get frustrated with your unsaved friends and relatives why they can't see spiritual things that look so clear to you. They wouldn't look real clear if the Holy Spirit wasn't working. I must believe God is not just, it doesn't mean he just exists and exists. The idea is Enoch believed that God was right there with him. So you must believe something about God and his word, but it doesn't stop there. The Holy Spirit then also reminds us we have to do something with what we believe. He rewards those, verse 6, who diligently seek him. They do something with it. See, our natural faith that we have is... We just believe something. 
It's just what we believe, right? You have faith. You have faith something's just going to work out. Well, just have faith. Well, what's that mean? Well, just think positively. That's faith. Or I have faith in myself. Or it's like the little engine that could, right? I think I can. I think I can. I think you know, I are thinking that book right now. Is that what faith is? No, it has nothing to do with what faith is. Because that's all about me. That's my natural way to have faith. My natural way to believe. Look over at James 2. What's the theme of James? Faith without works is dead. It's not faith at all. If it's true faith, I have to do something with it. Chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Verse 17. Faith by itself doesn't have works. It's dead. 19. The demons even believe that there's a God, but do you want to be shown that faith apart from works is useless? So verse 26. Faith apart from works is dead. Even of our natural faith, there's evidence you believe something. How do I know you believe these pews will hold you up this morning? You're sitting in it. If you didn't believe it would hold you up, you would not sit down. So even in our natural faith, we know if we really believe something, we have to do something with it. And so the Holy Spirit, number one, gives us faith. Number two, makes us understand this is the Word of God coming from God's Word. Number three, it's something about God and His Word I can't see, but He's going to help me believe it anyway. And then He's going to say, and now I want you to do something with it. Because just saying you believe it and not living it is not faith at all. That's our natural faith. This is the fruit of the Spirit faith. The real faith. Now, a question comes up. Go back to Matthew chapter 17. First book of the New Testament. This question always comes up. Well, how much faith do we need to do anything? I got to have more faith. If you just had more faith, right? If you hear that, pre- TV preachers, you just didn't have enough faith. You need to manufacture more faith. By the way, you can't manufacture any more faith because it's not the fruit of you, it's the fruit of the Spirit. But how much faith do we need to serve other people? How about that? How much faith do you need to serve somebody else? Because some of you have said, well, I'd serve if I maybe had a little more faith in that area. Oh, really? You're in Matthew 17, right? Verse 14. Here's the disciples showing some faith. Jesus and Peter, James, and John came to the crowd in verse 14. A man comes up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic. He suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often in the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him. The boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now wait a minute. It says they had little faith. And they needed faith like a grain of mustard seed. So how big was their faith? Less than a grain of mustard seed. 
But they tried to do something, didn't they? Did they try to heal this boy? Well, then you got two problems. Number one, if they had less than faith, the grain of a mustard seed, who evidently did they have faith in? First, themselves. They thought, we have to do this. If you've got a different translation, you have a verse 21 here. If you don't, you have an ESV, you have a note at the bottom. And most of the manuscripts have another verse here. It says, this kind doesn't come out except by prayer. Some add in fasting. You realize they didn't have enough faith to even pray about it? Their faith was in the wrong person. And they didn't need much faith, but their faith has to be directed to the right person. Here, show another one. Go to Luke 17. Over two more Gospels to your right. Luke 17. How much faith do I need to serve others? Well, Jesus has just told the disciples, guess what? If somebody sins against you seven times a day and seven times a day repents, you have to forgive them. Well, that's nuts. Doesn't that sound nuts to you? And by the way, he wasn't saying put a number on it, count to seven. He was saying, if they just keep doing this every day and they go ahead and repent, you have to forgive them. That's how you serve people. And what the disciples say in verse 5, you're in Luke 17, the apostles said to the Lord, we need more faith for this. We don't have enough faith to serve people this way. Increase our faith. Jesus said, no, you don't. The Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Same answer. You don't need more faith. You need to use the faith you already have. And it doesn't have to be much on your part because it's not of you. Now, some of you are saying, wait a minute, I've never moved a mountain, I've never moved a tree. When I move a tree, I've got to dig it out of the yard. I can't just say, move that tree from there to there, and it doesn't go. Well, he's talking here about prayer, especially. Do you understand how many mountains have to move for you to get one answer to prayer? How many circumstances have to come together? How many people have to be in the right place? Weather has to be in the right situation. Days, dates, times all have to blend for that one thing when you got the answer to prayer. You think prayer doesn't move mountains? The problem is we think we move the mountains and we don't because it's not the size of our faith, it's the size of our God. And we think the faith is about us. When we forget, it's not about us. I walk in the Spirit, and He gives me enough faith to listen to Him, to focus on Him, to believe God's Word is true, and even though I can't see how this is going to work out, to do it anyway. And then God moves mountains that I could never move. We put too much faith in ourselves and not enough faith to listen to God. Now you say, well, don't I get larger and larger in faith? You get enough faith, the Holy Spirit gives to you. That's all you need. And it, with God, it doesn't have to be much, does it? How much does God need to make it work? 
But what will happen the more I walk in the Spirit and live in the Spirit and try to walk by faith that the Spirit helps me with? This is what develops. My righteous ones then start living by faith. This then becomes a lifestyle choice. Whereas I'm making decisions, I'm walking by the Spirit, I'm listening to Him tell me, and all of a sudden I look back and I've been living now by faith. By what I believe about God and what I believe about His Word. And in fact, the more I listen, I walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, I become established in the faith. This becomes the foundation for everything that I do the more I pay attention to it. Not because I'm so great, but because I'm paying more attention to Him. By the way, in this verse, how do you know you're established in the faith just as you were taught? You're abounding in, what's the word? How thankful are you? You a complainer? Everything's a problem? I guarantee you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. You're not walking by the Spirit. If everything's a problem, if you're not seeing thanksgiving, you're not seeing the fruit of the Spirit. Well, here's the third one. What happens? What develops? This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. The more I get convicted and have confidence the Holy Spirit is telling me what God wants me to do through His Word, what then happens is something outward must happen, and I then demonstrate faithfulness constantly and consistency. That's the second aspect of this Word. Now, why is this an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit? And we sang quite a bit about it this morning. The reason is because what? God's faithful. God's faithfulness is why this is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. As surely as God is faithful, all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. By the way, the Holy Spirit helps us believe that even in tough times, that we can't see the ending of. You're walking by faith and not by sight. Understanding somebody's walking with you and he's faithful to you. But how does this work of the fruit of the Spirit? Well, let's remind ourselves this. The fruit of the Spirit reflects the character of God. God the Holy Spirit is to help us reflect God's character. That's what this aspect of the fruit is. And so I'm not reflecting my faithfulness. I'm not such a great guy. I'm reflecting God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to me, with the Spirit's help, is then being reflected to other people. Now turn to 1 Thessalonians. We'll get there in a second. I'm just telling you to turn there so you're there when we get there. 1 Thessalonians 5. I want to show you how Scripture says this plays out because the fruit of the Spirit is to enable me to serve other people better. Everybody got that? To help me, how does this help me serve other people better? Well, here's a verse from 1 Corinthians 10 on the screen reminding us that God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape so you may be able to endure it. That's God's faithfulness, right? Now, many people misinterpret this verse. I've heard it many times. God won't give me any more than I can handle. That's not what the verse says. 
God will always give us more than we can handle. Everybody understands that? Because if he gives me just what I can handle, I don't need God. But this says, in the area of temptation, he'll never let me be tempted beyond what I'm able to handle. There's always a way of escape to get out. And you're saying, what does that have to do with the fruit of the Spirit? Look at this verse in Romans 14. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another anymore, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith you have, keep between yourself and God. You realize the Holy Spirit will have you demonstrate your faithfulness to others by not letting them be tempted beyond what they are able in your actions around them? That you'll do what's best for them, not what's best for you, so they don't stumble spiritually? That's God's faithfulness to us, and we then show it to others. You're in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. How does the fruit of the Spirit reflect the character of God? When God says He's going to do something, does He do it? Every time. He then will have us do the same thing. Interesting verse in Psalm 15. It says, Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. In other words, if I'm understanding what holiness is, which also comes from God, I will keep my word even if it's something that works out badly for me. If it's not to my benefit, he'll still say, do it anyway. How quick are we to change our word when things isn't to our benefit? God will say, nope. Ecclesiastes 5, when you vow a vow, you make a promise, you better keep it. And the Holy Spirit says, that's your job. You will keep your word. That's why Matthew says this, let what you say simply be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Make sure you can actually do what you say you're going to do. Don't branch out from that, because if you start doing it, you got a problem. And the Holy Spirit will help us say those things that we will be, with His help, we will keep because that's what God does for us. How about this verse? If we confess our sins, finish it. He is and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from... And you're saying, what does that have to do with showing the aspect of faithfulness? Well, if God forgives our sins, what do you think He expects us to do? Yeah, you know it, don't you? Bearing with another, if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. The Holy Spirit will say, you want to be faithful? Forgive that person. Don't hold that grudge. Don't bear ill against them. Take care of it now. Because that's what God did for us. Look at 2 Timothy 2. Over to your right. Trustworthy sayings. It says, If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. No matter what I do or don't do, God will always be faithful. It doesn't depend on my actions, it doesn't depend on my response. Do you understand the Holy Spirit will have us do the same for others? 
We read this in Luke 6 last week. Love your enemies and do good and lend expecting... Well, if he doesn't thank me, I'm not doing it again for him. Really? Is that what God would do? The Holy Spirit will say, doesn't matter what anybody else does, you're going to be faithful. Doesn't matter if nobody else will follow what God says, you're going to be faithful. Remember Caleb and Joshua? You got the 12 spies going into the land, 10 spies, and all the children of Israel say, we can't take the land. Two of them say what? God says he can do it, he can do it. I don't care if there's two million people against us. Caleb had a different spirit. What spirit did that come from? The Holy Spirit, even in the Old Testament, and followed him fully. He walked by the Spirit even then, and he said, no, God's faithful. If nobody around me will do what they're supposed to do, don't care. I'll do it anyway. Showing God's faithfulness to others. How are you doing in that? Are you trying to manufacture this yourself, or are you just listening to the Holy Spirit and obeying Him? Now, some quick reminders. There are some areas that the Holy Spirit will especially want us to show this aspect of the fruit. One of them we've already seen in 1 Corinthians 4. It's required of stewards that they be found faithful in what was entrusted to them. Remember the parable in Matthew 25? The Master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, I'll set you over much. So what has God delegated and trusted to you that he expects you to be faithful in ministering to? Your spouse? Your family? Your church? Your job? Certainly not your finances, right? I'll just throw Luke 16 up there. One who is faithful in little is also faithful in much. Who is dishonest in little is also dishonest in much. If you can't be faithful with your wealth... How do you expect to be faithful in anything else? What's been entrusted to you that you're not being real faithful with? Look at Titus 1, over to your right, a page. He will expect us to be faithful to the doctrine that we have been taught. Talking about an elder here, though, he must hold firm to the trustworthy words as taught so he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The Spirit will help us hold true to what we believe. Back to 1 Timothy 3. If you're in leadership, this is a big one for you. This is one that God expects completely of leaders. 1 Timothy 3.11 says their wives likewise, which implies their husbands likewise are to do this too. And verse 8 says deacons likewise, which ties into the elders and pastors above that. So their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in, what a lousy word, all things. Be in leadership, you better be listening to the Holy Spirit in this one. This is the key factor. 1 Timothy 1.12, back a page. He'll expect me to be faithful in having a devotion to serving. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. 2 Timothy 2.2, to discipleship. He expects me to be faithful in making disciples. 
what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Does God expect us to be faithful? The answer is yes. But I can't make this myself. I have to listen to the Spirit, have His help to show this. Because I want to bear much fruit and prove that I'm a disciple. That's why discipleship's a key part in this. But let's look at the bear much fruit aspect with this faithfulness again. He doesn't expect me to just show faith here and there, just a little bit here and there. I think in Acts of how Stephen and Barnabas are described. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Those two phrases kind of go together because our faith comes from the Holy Spirit. Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. What's that mean? It means these guys had lives that were characterized by their faith and their faithfulness. That's bearing much fruit. Look at 2 Timothy 1. Some discipleship here again, but I'm reminded, Paul says to Timothy, of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. What shows that we are capable, that we're continually trying to walk by the Spirit? We show sincere faith. Here's the question. Do you really live by what you believe about God and His Word? Or is it only on Sunday morning? Would others say you really live what you believe about God? If not, you need to start walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, where your faith is sincere. You really believe it, and you want to live it out. And ultimately, what does God want? In 1 Timothy 4.12, He tells Timothy, let no man despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. If we followed your example of faith and faithfulness, would we be okay spiritually? Or would we be in trouble? Here's the question. Is this what you're doing in your life? I am convinced the Holy Spirit is constantly communicating with us. And it's amazing how many times we just cut him off. And we think this is a sporadic thing. It's just occasional. It's not occasional. When you start listening, and by the way, it takes keep studying this because this is what he uses If you're not studying this, it may be pretty sporadic for you because you're not in the Word where the Holy Spirit's saying, now you need to do this. Put on a plug. A lot of you leave here and don't stay for Bible school thinking, I've had enough. You can never get enough of the Word of God. And if you think you've had enough, then you're not walking in the Spirit because the Spirit always will direct you to think about God's Word, to study God's Word, to apply God's Word. And some of you, that's where you need to start this morning is getting back to studying this. And then you'll start hearing the Spirit tell you, here's what to do. 
Here's how to walk. Here's how to apply. Here's what not to do. And with my help, you can do this, and you can demonstrate your faith, and you can show my faithfulness to others. Let's pray for his help. Father, you are so faithful. We so much take that for granted. We many times say the phrase, but we sometimes don't believe it. But you are. And we want, with your help, to demonstrate your faithfulness to others, to show what we know about you to other people. We need to listen to your Spirit, to be led by your Spirit, to not make excuses that we don't have enough faith, but just to step out with your help and make those changes that are necessary. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen.